Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to our time together. I hope that you've already been encouraged here. I want to say hello to those of you who are joining us online as well, and thank you for uh, tuning in today. I pray that this will be encouraging for you as well. I want to begin today by talking about something that happens every year, and that is new words are added to the English language officially. And dictionaries and uh, organizations will look at words that are trending, words that have become more common, and then they'll add them to their dictionaries. And about six years ago, there was a new word that was added to the dictionary that is called adulting. Adulting. And the Oxford Dictionary defines adulting as the practice of behaving in a way that is characteristic of a responsible adult, especially in the accomplishment of mundane tasks. And the term may have originated with someone called Kelly Williams Brown, who wrote a blog that used the word adulting, and then in 2013 she wrote a book entitled Adulting, How to Become a Grown-Up, in 468 easy-ish steps. It was so popular that she had to write a second edition, which has a slight change in title, How to Become a Grown-Up in 535 Easy-ish Steps. And one blogger writes, Adulting can be hard on some days more than others, but things like paying bills, keeping the house clean, ensuring you eat three meals a day, and keeping a job are all part of being a responsible adult. Doing adult things includes going to bed to get enough sleep for work instead of going out with your friends just before a big work day. Cleaning up after yourself. Keeping a job and shouldering responsibility. Yet there are many who struggle with the transition to adulthood. And so they may do things like ignore bills, let the house or the apartment go, eat out all the time, quit a job whenever something happens that they don't like. And adulting seems like drudgery. It doesn't consist of fun and relaxed times. And who wants to do something that involves stress and responsibility? Such logic can convince us that adulting or maturing is something to avoid as long as possible. But consider the outcome of such choices. Refusing to grow up. Ignoring bills will eventually result in creditor calls, interest payments, and degrading one's credit rating. Letting the house go can result in a health hazard, and physical clutter leads to mental clutter and can contribute to anxiety and discouragement. Eating out all the time is hard on the budget and it can be hard on your body depending on the type of food you choose. Frequently quitting jobs limits one's resume and also ignores the opportunity to grow through the difficulties that work sometimes presents. So considering such consequences may motivate us to take up the challenge of maturing as an adult, even though it's hard. 
And as we do that, we may discover and will discover the many joys and satisfaction that comes with facing life's challenges and overcoming them. And a similar challenge faces us in the Christian life. When we first come to Christ, we may be excited about our new faith. We're thankful for forgiveness. We're rejoicing in the adoption into God's family. But baby Christians need to mature. We still have problems. Coming to Christ does not solve all of our issues immediately. We may still struggle with some bad habit. And then... The church that we're part of might make a decision that we disagree with and we wonder what to do. Or there might be a part in the Bible that we disagree with and we're not sure where to go. And when those kinds of things happen, we have a choice to make. Will we struggle through those challenges or will we refuse to mature? So that, say we have a bad habit, we just ignore it and hope it goes away. Or we use the decision the church made that we disagree with to hold back and criticize the church whenever it comes up. Or we conclude that the Bible is wrong in that outdated passage that we don't like. And then our confidence in God and his word may erode and we conclude, you know, if that's what God is like in this area, maybe I don't want to be with him in other areas. And we hear alternatives to the Christian worldview and we like those, they sound good. And we begin to think things like, well, my habit, my bad habit is not my fault. It's the fault of my upbringing or my environment. And the church has done bad things in the past. And this decision by the church confirms it. Or the Bible is just plain wrong on this issue. And if it's wrong on that, it's probably wrong on everything. So why do I even need Christianity? And we may leave God behind. And we may seek another path or just join the modern secular movement that thinks it knows life, reality, and truth way better than the so-called God of the Bible. Yet if we choose that path, we cut ourselves off from our creator, sustainer, refuge in times of darkness and sorrow, our protector from the assaults of the enemy, our God who wants to give us his transcendent peace that passes all understanding so yes maturing is hard but refusing to mature eventually makes life harder and my question for you today is this where are you at in your desire and commitment to mature in Christ cold Little or no interest in that. Lukewarm, maybe a little bit warmer, maybe white hot. Our text today is going to talk about the need to mature in Christ. And it's hard. Yet God calls us to it, and it's for our good. And he will empower us to do it. So I pray that God is going to use today to spur us on to keep maturing in Christ by depending on Christ. And our text today is found in the first chapter of Colossians, chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 24 and then go to chapter 2, verse 5. If you don't have a Bible, it's on page 835 in the Bibles that are in front of you or if you're in the front row somewhere in the seats underneath you. Colossians 1, 24 to chapter 2, verse 5. And this is the Apostle Paul talking writing, he says, 
Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery, hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So the Apostle Paul is writing to the Colossians, and we've learned he's never met them before. Yet, he wants to give them some strong teaching about the false teaching that is about to threaten or has already threatened their community. So, if someone came along in your life and you did not know them and they started to warn you and instruct you, you might react with suspicion. So Paul is building bridges to the Colossians, even though he's never met them. And he does this here. Paul informs the Colossians about his sufferings on their part. And if you did not know a person and they wanted to warn you or give you some messages, if you found out that they were suffering on your part, that they cared about you, you might be more willing to listen to what they have to say. And here Paul says he rejoices in his sufferings for their sake. He suffers in prison. This letter was written in prison on behalf of all Christians as he proclaims truth about Christ. And Paul was convinced that even if he was suffer and spend time in prison, it was worth it to make God's words and plans fully known. Yet he uses a phrase in verse 24 that can send us on a rabbit trail. He writes, In my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now what on earth could be lacking in Christ's afflictions? Does this mean that Christ did not complete the saving work necessary on the cross. Not at all. Christ's work was complete and sufficient. Like Hebrews 9.12 says, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goat and calves, but by means of his own blood, 
thus securing an eternal redemption. And later in Hebrews, we read, but as it is, Christ has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. So there's nothing lacking in Christ's sacrifice and Christ's sufferings. So what could Paul mean here in verse 24? Well, it seems that he is referring to afflictions that had to happen for the spread of the gospel. All Christians are called to suffer for their faith, like Christ suffered on the cross. And these sufferings in some way add to the afflictions of Christ, the sufferings of Christ, for the greater purpose of spreading the good news around the world. And Paul relates this to the church generally and to the Colossians specifically. He endures all of this as a commission, he says, or calling from God so that they might hear the good news. And at some point in the story, Paul proclaimed the good news to Epaphras, who we met in chapter 1, And then Epaphras went to Colossae and brought the good news to the Colossians so that the people that are reading this letter are, in a sense, the fruit of the sufferings of Paul on Christ's behalf. Because of his willingness to suffer, they have heard the message of the gospel. And so Paul wants them to know about this. And then Paul talks a fair bit about the mystery in, chapter, in verses 26 and 27. And this mystery for Paul is not some secret knowledge that is only reserved for a few special people. It's a mystery that has been unveiled to everyone. And the mystery is that God has chosen to bring the Gentiles into his family, into his people through Jesus Christ. And most of the people reading this letter were Gentiles. So again, Paul is building a bridge to them. I have suffered on your behalf. God has unveiled the mystery that you are going to be part of God's family. You, a non-Jew, are going to be folded into the family of God through Christ. So that's what Paul is doing initially in verses 24 to 27. And there are a couple of observations I'd like to make about this that apply to you and me. Observation number one is this. There were in our people in our lives who suffered for our sake so that we could know Christ. There are people in our lives, there were people in our lives who suffered for Christ so that we would know Christ. And Paul is one of them. Paul wrote, half the New Testament, and a lot of his writing came in prison. So he endured sufferings for the sake of people he wouldn't even know, and we continue to be encouraged by his writings today. And these writings, some of them, like Colossians, were done while he was suffering in prison. But there are others in our lives who have suffered for our sake so that we might know Christ. Maybe it was our parents And they endured the daily suffering and challenge of living the Christian life before us. If you came from a Christian home. And they probably did it imperfectly. But you saw their perseverance in the faith. And that was an example to you. Or maybe you grew up and were in a church. And there was a Sunday school teacher or a youth leader or someone there. That endured the suffering of sacrificing their time. And coming every week to teach Sunday school. To help in the youth group. And through their suffering they impacted you for Christ. Or maybe it was an author or a pastor or a speaker. 
who endured the suffering and the grind of study and preparation to prepare a talk that God used to deeply impact your life. So, so think of the people who suffered for Christ on your behalf so that you might know Christ. And if you can think of some people, thank God for them. The second observation I'd like to make is there are more ways to suffer for Christ than external persecution. We can think, you know, the only way, the only people who really qualify for persecution are those who suffer externally. And certainly people like Paul who are in prison, people who are suffering around the world today with different types of persecution endure a unique and difficult kind of persecution and suffering for their faith. But there's sufferings that we endure in just everyday Christianity. I appreciate the comment of uh, a commentator named Tom Wright who says we would be wrong to think of suffering only in terms of direct outward persecution that professing Christians sometimes undergo because of their faith. Uh, the church must always be ready for such persecution and must support in prayer and practical help those who go through it But all Christians will suffer for their faith in one way or another, if not outwardly, then inwardly. So have you thought about the inward persecution you endure for your faith? And he talks about we suffer inwardly through the long, slow battle with temptation or sickness or the agonizing anxieties of Christian responsibilities for a family, for a church, or the constant doubts and uncertainties which accompany figuring out obedience to the faith, to Christ, in the world in which we live today. So you might be enduring suffering and difficulty for Christ in your everyday life that will impact others down the road. So just as Paul suffered for the Colossians, others suffered for us, and we continue to suffer for the faith by persevering in a daily walk with God. And Paul then goes on to explain why he endures such suffering for the Colossians. So the second major move of this text is Paul reveals that he works hard with Christ's energy to present everyone mature in Christ. And this is verse 28, where he says, Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Now there might be some Christians who say, you know, this maturity in Christ thing, this getting serious about my faith thing, this, you know, doing the church stuff, whatever it is, that's for the super Christians. That's for the super spiritual. It's not for me. I don't have to do that. Well, well, verse 28 challenges that view and notice the word everyone three times warning everyone teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ so it is possible for anyone to mature in Christ and Paul believes that this is his and Timothy's calling to warn and teach with all wisdom so they can present everyone mature in Christ to God someday So what does it mean to mature in Christ? It means that our lives become more and more Christ-like. Mature Christians 
begin to look more and more like Jesus and the way he lived. A mature Christian has a clear understanding of the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ that is talked about in chapter 1, verses 15 to 20, and this results in a desire to grow in Christ at all times. And the mature Christian has the marks of the authentic Christian that we talked about when we started this series. Faith in Christ Jesus, love for the believers, love for one another, and hope in God's future blessings. And we will come to some very practical indicators of mature Christian living in chapter 3, where Paul lays out examples of putting to death things from our old life and putting on Christ. So Paul suffers so he can present everyone mature in Christ, and then in verse 29, he explains how he does this. So he says, verse 29, for this, for this, that I may present everyone mature in Christ, for this, I toil struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So Paul struggles and labors by the energy given by Christ. And this results in power to carry out ministry. And for Paul, this probably meant prayer and the work of the ministry and preaching the gospel and warning converts and resisting false teachers. Paul struggles, Jesus empowers And through Christ-empowered Christians who struggle on behalf of others, God grows Christians into maturity. So observation number three about this that applies to you and me is simply everyone can mature in Christ. Everyone needs warning. Everyone needs teaching. Everyone needs to mature. And this is a command for every Christian, and it is good for us. It will lead to greater joy, less guilt, forgiveness, overcoming sinful habits, and healing for our souls, just to name a few. And then observation number four, we can mature and minister with Christ's energy or independence on Christ's energy. And yes, it is hard to mature. Yes, it's sometimes hard to serve in ministry, but it is possible to mature and minister when we depend on Christ to do it. Now, I'm all for recognizing our limits and not doing something because we've realized, oh, I, I, I just don't have the, the resources anymore to, to take that on, or I, I don't have the time, or whatever, whatever our limits are. I'm all for recognizing those and living in the light of those, but sometimes we might use that as an excuse to not do what God is calling us to do. And we forget about the energy of Christ to accomplish what God wants to do through us. And so God says, I would like you to do this thing over here or to get involved in this, and we respond immediately, no, I don't have the energy or resources, completely forgetting about what Christ can empower us to do. And I remember seeing this in my preaching prof, Haddon Robinson, maybe about 10 years ago. He's, he's passed away since then, but he was in his mid to late 70s at that point. I think he was doing a little teaching still. And the school that he taught at, Gordon Conwell Seminary, had a leadership crisis. And their president suddenly resigned. They needed someone to serve as an interim president. 
And so they asked Dr. Robinson in his mid to late 70s, would you do this? And he asked his wife, what do, you, what do you think? And she responded, it could kill you. But together they discerned that the Lord was saying yes to this call and would empower them to carry out this difficult calling. And I think for about eight months, Dr. Robinson served as interim president until they got a new president. So that still serves as a shining example to me of someone who said, I will do this work, but I need to depend completely on Christ's energy and strength to accomplish it. So Paul informs the Colossians about his sufferings for their sake. He tells them why he suffers for them. He wants to present them all as mature in Christ to God, but what specifically did the Colossians need to mature it? I mean, it's kind of insulting to say to someone, you know, you need to grow up in this area. And here we start to get into the problem addressed by this letter. Last week we saw Paul paint this glorious picture of the supremacy of Christ in preparation to address the false teaching that diminished Christ. So now we're getting into the meat of that. So in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul again notes how great a struggle he is having both for the Colossians, for Christians in a place called Laodicea, and for those he hasn't met. And he does this so their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of understanding and assurance and the knowledge of God's mystery again, which is Christ. And then verse 3, he gives one more plug to the supremacy of Christ where he says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And if we have a picture of Christ having all the supreme treasures of wisdom and knowledge... We will be much less likely to be deceived by a human teacher who comes along and says, no, no, I have different knowledge that is better than Christ. No, no, we'd say no, no. In Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. But then in verse 4, we find the answer. What did the Colossians need to mature in? Why do we need to mature? So that no one may deceive us with seemingly reasonable arguments. And in verse 4, in in my translation, the ESV, it says, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And delude is another word for deceive. And plausible is an interesting translation. Plausible means possible. Credible. Reasonable. And it is a correct translation of the word that is written down in Greek. And what they're trying to say, I think with that translation is, it is possible to delude or deceive people with arguments that seem plausible. But I like the translation seemingly reasonable to make it very clear. These are presented as reasonable, but they're not. There's error There's deception. There's something wrong with it. It leads away from Christ. And friends, this is the way that Satan works all the time in our lives. He doesn't try to deceive us with obviously false arguments. He mixes the truth with some little lie, some question about God's character. And with that tactic, he has successfully led many away from God. So how do we combat this? By growing in maturity. 
in Christ. We learn the treasures of the wisdom and knowledge found in Christ. We study and observe the life of Christ to learn his ways. By Christ's power and energy, we grow into Christ's likeness because it's easy for even believers to be led away by impressive-sounding arguments. The antidote is Christ's supremacy grasped by a Christ-maturing disciple. So observation number five is simply we need to mature in Christ so we can discern the error in seemingly reasonable arguments. And we'll get into this much more in the weeks ahead as we walk through chapter two. But I praise God for the many in this congregation who have walked with Christ for many, many years and have grown in maturity in Christ and treasure the wisdom and knowledge that is found in Christ. And there is so much wisdom in this body of authentic Christian living that we need to connect and encourage one another in that. And those of you who have joined us in the last 12 to 18 months, you too have been maturing in Christ and you need to teach us the ways in which you're maturing and what Christ has taught you. And remember our new vision, loving God, changing lives, serving community. Well, one way our lives change is through maturing in Christ. If we refuse to mature in Christ, our lives aren't changing. But every time we mature, our life changes. So we need to be together as believers to encourage one another in this. And one way you can do that is to join those next groups that were talked about next week. If you don't already meet with other Christians for encouragement. But today, I want to conclude by going back to consider that question again. Where's your passion at for maturing in Christ? That desire to grow in Christ. And we talked about cold, lukewarm, warm, hot. And then we looked at five observations. One, people have suffered for your sake so you could know Christ. Two, persevering in daily Christian living is a form of suffering that honors Christ and can influence others. Three, everyone can mature in Christ. Four, we can mature and minister with Christ's energy. Five, we need to mature in Christ so we can discern the error of seemingly reasonable arguments. Which one of those five, five, might God be speaking to you about today to spark you to pursue maturity in Christ? And maybe... The Spirit is reminding you today of someone who sacrificed so that you could know Christ. And he wants to invite you to live with thanksgiving that that person came and sacrificed on your behalf and inspire you to mature in Christ so that you can inspire others. Or, second, the second point, maybe the Spirit is affirming in you today your perseverance in walking with Christ every day. And it feels like drudgery and it feels sometimes like it's not worth it. But you don't know the impact that that is having on the people who are around you. And maybe at some point in the future you will see how your perseverance every day in following Christ served as an example. And that suffering that you endured will inspire the next generation. Or maybe the Spirit has exposed in you an excuse that you've been making that it's not up to me to mature in Christ, that's just for the super spiritual. No, everyone can mature in Christ. And the Spirit calls you to stop making that excuse and to embrace what is the next step for me to mature in Christ. 
Or maybe the Spirit will remind you that though your path is hard, you don't have to do it in your own strength. You've been trying to face whatever you have to face in your own strength. And you need to tap into Christ's energy, which works so powerfully. Or maybe God asked you to do something and you immediately said no, looking only at your resources. And he wants you to relook at that in light of Christ's resources. Or number five, maybe the Spirit is pointing out a concern about some idea that you've been following. You've been investing time in. And there's something not right about it. And you need to re-examine that idea with the Spirit, with your Bible, and with other Christians. Or maybe God's been speaking to you about something totally different. But I want to give you a few moments to respond to him in prayer. And then I'll close our time. So will you just come before the Lord and respond to anything that he's saying today to you about this call to mature in Christ? And Lord God, maturing in you is hard. We like it when we are relieved of responsibility. When we have less stress, of course, we like that. And maturing can require change and we don't like change most of us and yet maturing leads to so many other good things so help us as a people as individuals to depend on Christ and his energy to embrace the next step in our maturing journey Lord and that might mean Doing some adulting in just everyday life. Getting over the reasons and excuses that we make for not doing those simple things. And you're saying, no, you can do this. I empower you to do something different than maybe your friends are saying. Or maybe it's, it's to grow or, or to uh, stop making excuses. Whatever it is, Lord, will you work in us by your Spirit to point out in our hearts where we need to change, where we need to grow, where we need affirmation, where we've been blind, maybe to some idea that we're playing with that is not of you. And instead, to walk by your Spirit, trusting Christ, in whom are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. To him be the glory. To him we depend on for strength. And we pray this in his glorious name. Amen.